Back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Miller McFadden. How you all doing? I just want to say that last week's episode was unreal. We had our very, like an amazing episode with Adam, who just really shared from the heart. And uh, like it's really left me thinking about it all week. I don't know about you guys. How are you doing there, Tio? Where are you now? Are you, are you down the I'm coast not, or are you up in the mountains? No, I'm up in the mountains, man, uh, trying to fight off the snow. It's been like nonstop. Um, it's good, though. Yeah, we're, I'm back home for a couple of days, just taking a break from training and got to hang out with Little Man and got to see, uh, obviously, Aubrey and uh, just, yeah, been hanging out, just kind of slumming around. It's pretty good. We went on a little trek yesterday, so ventured off into the snow because we've just been getting buckets of it. I mean, absolute just like buckets, which is kind of cool, you know? That little boy is going to be Grizzly Adams, I reckon. He's going to like <laughs> sprout. He's going to sprout hair all over his body to deal with the cold, and he's just going yeah. to like live in the woods in wintertime. Yeah, he, he's a about, trip, man. Such a good little man. And how about you, Mike? How you doing? I'm pretty. I'm pretty beat up and tired, and I'm. Yeah. I, I'm excited for this episode today, and I had a little jump jump start last night, but honestly, I'm like, I've had better days. I'm not going to lie, but. uh I, just, I don't know. I, I just pictured Soren like waking up when he's like five years old, like making coffee and be like, what's up, dad? <laughs> you know, but, but, um, yeah, but yesterday, uh, I just want to give a special shout out a little bit real quick. Um, came home from a crappy day at work yesterday and just was over it, was getting ready to go meet my buddy Brady at the gym. And uh, they're like, hey, we're going to stop over. We just had some Mexican. And I was like, why would you eat Mexican before they go to the gym? Cardinal cardinal rule of what not to do, right, Raf? Don't <laughs> eat Mexican food before you go to the gym, especially on squat day. Um, no, that's a myth in my culture. Oh well. We eat Mexican food before and after the gym for the gains. <laughs> Maybe the Caucasians it doesn't work out as well. Anyway, um they came over and um his wife was like, Oh yeah, I eat Mexican food. I was like, Oh man, it's terror, you know, um, you know, whatever. She's like, I didn't get a margarita. You know, like kind of fake crying. I was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's terrible. And then she's like, because I have to tell you something. And I just looked at her. My eyes got big. And I was like, oh, you're pregnant. I was like, that's why. <laughs> totally got me. Totally got me <laughs> off guard. But um, I just wanted to say congratulations to them. They listen. And uh, they've been trying for a few months now. And it just it's been weighing heavy and they've been praying on it for a while and everything else. And it's just so wonderful to hear news like that and to see how excited they were. So I just wanted to say congratulations to, to Brady and Katie. Um, Big shout out Brady and Katie. Love you guys. Congratulations. Fantastic news. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely great news. I hope, uh, I hope Bob, uh, baby and mama stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a nurse. So, I mean, that's not a guarantee, but she's she she's pretty good to go. Other thing, That's just awesome. before we get into this one, I want to apologize for last week's audio. <laughs> I was in, I was on the laptop in Barcelona, and it was terrible when I listened to the playback. So apologies to all the listeners. 
I really hope I didn't detract from the amazing story that Adam shared, which was just unreal. So, well, the feedback the feedback that we got, they loved Adam's part. They were happy they couldn't hear you finally. <laughs> so it's not really an apology. It's more of a like, thank you, Mel. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cheza went and she solved that problem immediately. Just got a friggin' plug-in microphone. Hopefully that solves the problem. But as you guys have probably seen in the show notes, we're joined by another special guest. I'd like to say hi and welcome to April. Thanks very much for joining us. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, it's it's always nice to have someone on the side. I don't have to look at these two idiots. I've got my... <laughs> you know, it's always good to be joined by someone. And um, for, the, for the listeners <clears throat> that would have seen in the show notes, uh, April being Adam's other half, the better 95%, I think is how we probably describe that picture. We heard Adam's la- uh, story last week of dealing with PTSD as a young Marine and um, coming back from combat ops, getting a medical discharge and losing his way in a, in a pretty significant way. Like a lot of young people who've suffered trauma and he really shared with us an amazing story of recovery. And the background star in that story, for me at least, was kept hearing these references to this amazing wife. And for the listeners, we were lucky enough to have April actually approached us and really kindly offered to come and share her side of the story. So last week's episode and this week are like beautiful bookends of a traumatic story that's, you know, it's on the way up and it's it's a it's a, a wonderful thing. So I just really want to thank you for opening your heart and reaching out to us and being so honest and being willing to put your life out there and share with people because this really this stuff really makes a difference for people. So I just want to really thank you for approaching us, April. Absolutely. As we were going through this, I didn't I've never heard of anything like this before. I have read and heard of a lot of PTSD stories from veterans coming back. Um, but you don't hear the other side. You don't hear what the wife has to say. You don't hear um, what she went through. So I was doing it all blind. And I wish that I would have had something to reference or something that would have told me, wait, I'm not crazy. Other women really do go through this. But I didn't have that. So hopefully the right people hear this and they hear something that maybe encourages them. Well, you've encouraged the three of us already through what we've heard from Adam. And uh, maybe you could just take a minute or two and just tell us about yourself, your backstory, where you're from and, you know, how you guys got together maybe. Yeah. So um, it was in uh, 2011 and 2012. um, My oldest son played youth football and Adam was an assistant something or another. I don't know. He spent more time on the sidelines with me and trying to get my kids to like him than he did on the field. And in typical Marine fashion, he would park his big, sexy Dodge Ram on the field because he wanted everybody to know that he had a big dick. (laughs) (laughs) He would pull out fruit snacks and pixie sticks for my kids, um, you know, just trying to get through me to me through them. Um, We became really good friends. He was going through a lot of stuff. I was going through a lot of stuff. And uh, we became each other's solstice. We would 
meet at night, like after my kids would go to bed and we would just sit and talk. And um, he actually helped me move out of my abusive ex-boyfriend's house. And the first night that I moved, um, he was worried that he would find us, me and my kids. So he stayed with us just in case, you know, on guard. Um, and he never left. That's just kind of how it started. Um, things were really good for a while. Um, and then they weren't. So, uh, I was kind of caught off guard, you know, whenever things started to not be good. Um, Adam, I, I want you to know whenever you listen to this, um, I just want you to know how much I love you and that I'm proud of you and your redemption story is so beautiful. And I'm really proud of the man that you've become. And I don't want any of this to upset you. This is our story and I love you. Just had to get that up. Wow. Any any person out there would be happy to hear that from their partner. That's for sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? Maybe you could just give us a little bit oh, of that. Here, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Or the Dodge Ram was parked on the pitch. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I uh, am from Pittsburgh. I've always lived here. Never really traveled far. Didn't have the best childhood growing up. I had my own trauma, abuse, and um, just not living in a good house. Uh, we lived in poverty. Um, my grandparents were my solids throughout my life, though. They were always, you know, the place to go, the place to be. Um, I, uh, as everybody did when they were young, made a thousand bad decisions, you know, that all led me to this point right now. Um, but I must have done something right because we're doing pretty good. It's amazing when you can look back and you look at those moments where you felt like this is the worst day of my life. This is, right? And then there's another one and then there's another one and you're just like, this is it. This is it. This is it. And then years later, you can turn around and look back and be like, one, I made it through it. How amazing is that? And then two, realize the person that it's made you or helped you become. It, it's, it's almost like a, it's it is a blessing, you know. It, Who would we be without those moments? Exactly. Who would we be if we didn't screw up? Yeah. That, that's that's what shapes us. Yeah. So, anyways, I had three kids whenever I met Adam. Um, now we have five. We have two together. Um, they keep me extremely busy. One of my sons has autism. Another one has Tourette's and ADHD, and our daughter has type one diabetes, which is a twenty four seven job. Um, so that's all of that, and then him pretty pretty busy wow that's 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 a load there being a father to a special needs daughter i take my hat off to you with um three three special needs kids well done and for, i mean five kids don't get outnumbered the enemy plus Adam. The parents. Yeah. <laughs> right so 2011 2012 on did you want to just tell us no, yeah, like so um, I just and... wanted to start by um, reciting this. Um, I kind of feel that it really sums up our relationship. Um, we were in the thick of our problems whenever I gave Adam the statue and it had this little poem engraved on it. And it says, um, broken by battle, wounded by war, I'll love you forever. To you this I swore. I will quiet your silent screams and help heal your shattered soul until once again, my love, you are whole. Um, so whenever we started dating in 2012, um, 
he said that he could finally sleep whenever he was with me. The truth of the matter is he didn't want to leave my house because he was finally getting some rest. He said that whenever he wasn't with me, then his nightmares terrorized his mind. Um, but the positive of being with me, besides being able to sleep, was that he stopped drinking every day. Um, he didn't want to be just drunk around me. He held me to a higher regard and had more respect for me than that. He said that he felt safe with me and his family was always commenting on the positive change that they saw in him. Um, I... I knew that he had problems, but I was not aware of anything as serious as what what it actually was. Um, it wasn't until 2016, uh, whenever I really noticed that something was going on. Our youngest son was recently born. Our daughter was one, and his issues were apparent for some time. Um, he was avoiding life. He would lock himself in the a different room, the sunroom, and he would just watch war clips online late into the night over and over and over again. Um, he would stay in there just for days at a time and avoid everybody around him, or he would work nonstop. There was one one point that he was working three jobs, and he wouldn't even come home, come home in between. He would sleep in the car for a few hours here and there and just go to work. Whenever he was working, he felt a purpose, and he would just do anything that he could to avoid life. One thing he's always been good at is working. And as long as he has a job and he had a purpose, he was okay. Um, but he actually wasn't okay. So whenever he would come home, he would go back into these, you know, other, other avoidance, um, type tactics. He wasn't taking care of himself. He couldn't go out into public without his anxiety taking over. He was distant. He was distracted, very unstable. He was not patient with the kids. That was not the man that I met. I, part of the reason I fell in love with him because he was so amazing with my kids. He wasn't interested in our relationship anymore, um, but he denied having any issues at all. Um, as far as he was concerned, he was fine. So his, um, all of these things, you know, just led me to believe that there had to have been something else going on. I started digging and um, I found out that he was talking to multiple different females. Uh, he was looking to them to fill certain voids. He would wear a mask for each situation he was in. So he would talk to this girl and pretend to be this person. And he would talk to this female and, talk and pretend to be this person. And they all gave him something different. There was uh, one female who was married herself, and she just really boosted up his confidence. You know, in that situation, I was always the bad guy. I was this terrible girlfriend, wife, spouse, whatever. And um, she would oh, I could come in and fix everything. You know, that that was her role. And then there was another one. Um, she was just, you know, a very good-looking, risky type of a girl. And um, he got a, a sexual desire filled from her. And then there was another one who he pretended he loved her. He wanted to spend his life with her. You know, it was just all of these different people he pretended to be. Um, and he put in a lot of work to keep, all of that straight. I have no idea how he kept it all straight. So, um, he wasn't physically cheating on me, but it was all the same to me. It, you know, he was cheating on me. As far as he was concerned, he wasn't. He had friends, but the fact of the matter, he was. Um, he denied that there was any issues and he just was desperate to justify all of his decisions. Um, I also found out that all of our bills were late or unpaid. We were about to lose the house. We were losing our car. Um, 
so he was in charge of the finances and I found out that he was just not, he was not. Um, I have a feeling that it was just too much for him and he just was not able to keep up with that. Um, he was getting laid off of work during this time as well. And the combination of me finding out these secrets and him being out idle at home sent him into this just terrible downward spiral. Uh, I was holding him accountable for his choices and um, I wasn't sure if I could stay with him anymore. Um, my senses told me, you know, this isn't okay, I have to leave. But uh, I, I was questioning it, you know, I wasn't sure. Um, he loved us and he would die for us, but he couldn't live for us. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. Uh, he quickly became suicidal. And I had to watch him 24-7. And I was not able to leave his side without him trying to slip away undetected. And this was probably the hardest moment in our relationship. Um, his first major suicidal rage was intense. He had a bag packed. And I was physically pushing him back into the house and he demanded that I let him go. His plan was to leave and go find an open field somewhere far away and slice himself open right down the center. And if by chance, I called the police beforehand. His plan was to die by suicide by cop. He knew that if he pointed his gun towards a police officer without shooting, they would shoot him to kill. He had no intention to hurt anyone else. He was just on a mission to die. Luckily, I was able to stop him, and my search for help began. Navigating the VA was impossible. I tried the suicide hotline. I tried calling, and I tried texting, actually, but they blew me off because I wasn't a suicidal veteran myself. I was extremely discouraging. He was without care for years, so no one there would talk to me since they didn't have paperwork giving me permission. I um I searched until I found veteran veteran caregiver Facebook group and I didn't even know that I was a caregiver at this point. I was just desperate to find some help. Um these amazing women told me about veteran PTSD retreats and they sounded really great, but everyone that I contacted had red tape. There were nine month waiting lists, criteria that he didn't meet. No one understood that Adam wouldn't last much longer. One day I got into the shower while he was awake, which I typically didn't do because whenever I say that I had to watch him 24-7, I, I truly did. Um, but I did. I, I thought everything was okay. I went and I got into the shower and five minutes and I hear someone pounding at the door. I ran out and it was one of his good friends to check on him. And I was like, what are you doing here? You know, what, what is going on? Why are you pounding at my door? And he said, is Adam okay? Is he okay? And I was like, yeah, I, I think he's okay. I was just with him a second ago. What's going on? Um, and he told me that he sent out a suicide note, like via text message to his closest friends. Um, and he used the opportunity of me slipping away into the shower for a second. He knew he'd be alone for, you know, 20 or so minutes and he would have an opportunity. So he sent out this note and was going to go. Luckily, his friend loved him enough to come here because he wasn't answering text messages back and wasn't answering his phone back. And I am just so grateful for him for, for doing that because we were able to catch him ahead of time. Um, we were able to stop him and uh, it was hard because that told me I couldn't even shower without him being right next to me because that's how persistent he was. That's how stuck he was on wanting to die. And it was taking its toll on me and I was exhausted. 
And you have to keep in mind, I, I, I had kids, one of which was a newborn. You know, I, I was, I was tired. Um, one night I found a program called Mighty Oaks Warrior Program. And I copy and pasted the same email that I sent to 20 other places. And within a few hours, somebody actually responded. They said that they understood the urgency and they would put Adam on a flight to California the following week. And I cried. I cried for probably an hour. I couldn't believe that somebody that knew what they were doing was able to help. Um, it took a lot to convince Adam to go because at this, he still was telling me he was fine. He insisted he was fine. And he also insisted that he wasn't going anywhere, but I convinced him. He went, he got on the plane and please hear me whenever I say I could finally breathe again. I took the biggest breath of my life. Whenever he touched down in California, I just, oh, you know, I just, it was so peaceful. Um, he was gone and somebody else could watch him for me. And I could just pause and take a breath and recollect myself and just take care of myself just, just for a minute. It was just rejuvenating to be able to pause and know that he was in somebody else's care and nothing was going to happen, happen to him there. April. Um, real God. <clears throat> so that, that feeling of relief and just having to constantly be on alert and just watch everything be forward thinking. You know, you're not just in that moment, I'm sure, but thinking about an hour from now or, oh, I know tomorrow I have to do this. Like, I, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the, the the amount of stress and and things going on in your mind uh, and, and anxiety and everything else. Was there anything while you were doing or going through that portion before he went to Mighty Oaks? Was there anything that you tried to do that maybe helped a, a little bit? Like, was there anything like for the listeners too? like maybe somebody's out there, like, was there anything that you could think of or did it have to come to this? At this point, there was nothing. I was brand new to this. Uh, you know, I, I only started dating him in 2012, four years prior. I was not with him through the military. We weren't surrounded by military friends. I could reference some people that I found online and ask them. But, you know, everybody has a different perspective and it wouldn't necessarily fit our situation. I couldn't go grocery shopping without him or couldn't shower without him. I had to make sure that he was with me whenever he was sleeping or whenever I was sleeping because he may get up in the middle of the night, you know? It was, um, no, no, there was nothing at this point that I could do that was anything short of keeping my eyes on him at all times. Yeah, it was tough. Um, one notable thing here that I want to mention is that during this whole mess of trying to keep him alive and you know, realizing that he's been living a separate life, lying to me, um, is that he did start to recognize that he had a problem and he was willing to get help to save our relationship. And every time something else would come up, he would try to improve on it. Um, I, this was the first time that I was with a man who would say, I did do this wrong and I am sorry and I don't know how to fix it, but I'm going to try. And a lot of times he got it wrong. You know, and a lot of times he would screw up and a lot of times he would just go back and fall into the same patterns that he had before. But um, he was trying. And that is more than what most people can say. It is so hard to do something bad to somebody else or, 
just make a bad decision and then admit it. How many people can look at you in the eyes and admit whenever they do something wrong to you or whenever they hurt you? And he was doing that. And that right there told me that he was somebody that was worth fighting for. If I just would have up and left him, I would have been missing out on some of the best years of our life. Um, Such an extraordinary, pardon me, April, such an extraordinary thing to hear because I think that there's a lot of, a lot of people in relationships, in partnerships, relate, you know, marriages who would have been like, there's a line that's been crossed already here. And it sounds like you had some strength to your commitment that is extremely unusual. Like, would you say that that's true? That there was, like, what was it that was keeping you there in that with the babies, with your children? And having to be with him 24 hours a day, that had so, you. So first of all, um, I didn't grow up in a stable household. I, my father wasn't even around at all. I really wanted my daughter to grow up with her dad. Um, that was that was always my first thought. Uh, I I never knew what that was like to have, you know, a dad that loved you in your house, and I really wanted that for her. Um, also for all of my other kids, but, you know, just being a female and her being my only daughter, I really wanted that for her. Um, nobody talks about a relationship after infidelity. It's taboo. It's, wait, he cheated on you? You better leave him. It's, wait, he did that to you? You better go get revenge. Uh, none of those things are healthy or necessarily right. And who was I to expect forgiveness from my past for things that I have done? without having the decency to extend that same grace to the man that I loved. He screwed up, but guess what? I screwed up a thousand times too. You know, I, I would just like to, from, from personal, you know, my personal experience and, and looking at it and listening to Adam last week about, you know, what he went through with combat, especially as a 19-year-old Marine, right? Um, I, was, I was 19 years old when I came into the military as well. And I was in a spec ops unit by 20. So I grew up in that environment. And, and that environment is, I mean, we all, we all know this. Every person in this, in this room right now is, uh, we all know that it's a violent one. That there's a lot of terrible, terrible things that you experience and that you see. And it does change you. And it, you know, I always kind of talk about, you know, I was going down a windy road with no guardrails. And sometimes I would try to do my best to stay on it and try to steer my way because I thought that I was the best driver. And I wound up in the ditch multiple times and had to get pulled out. And I was just trying to lie to myself that I could do it on my own. Uh, you know, losing my dad at 18, which um, Adam was there for. So he knows that's that side of me. But uh you know, I was just like, well, I don't have any guidance. I don't have anything else. I can do it by myself and I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a man's man. You know, all this other stuff. And it was all, it was all a lie. I mean, I was, yeah, it, it, it's going to change you in ways that you just don't expect, whether it's emotions or looking for that, that, that high whether you got that in combat or something, you know, flying a plane or getting shot at, you know, whatever, 
you start searching for that emotion that you felt. You know, there's always that saying of, well, it'll never be combat. It'll never be like combat. It'll never be like combat. That's why there's so many veterans out there that get out and they go to the police force because they think that they're going to get into it and like, ah, that's where I can find it. Or people get addicted into uh, pornography and they're like, ah, that's where I can find it. Or, hey, I'll just find this woman that's willing to do anything and everything and ah, I'll get it there. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's an addiction to a lot of that stuff. Um, so to recognize that for Adam and for him to admit that is one thing for you to acknowledge it and go back to what that statue said and realize that this relationship that you guys promised each other was going to be through the hard times and the good times, more of the, more of the hard than the good. Cause the good times are great, right? Like everybody's laughing, you know, that's when everybody's pictures on Instagram together and oh, life is great. Life is great. There's no filters for the bad times, right? There's none. There's no hiding them. And uh, the strength to, to move through that together during those times, I mean, that's commitment. That's the work that you hear about. And I commend you both. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, thanks. It was it wasn't easy, but I agree that uh, I'm glad it was. You know, we are where we are today. Um, whenever he came back from Mighty Oaks, he wanted to start fresh. He said, yes, I'm a new man. Everything is great. Uh, they gave him a lot of really good life pointers and a lot of help and resources, but I wasn't there. I wasn't on the same page as him. Um, I was, I wanted to unpack his lies. He was like, no, let's start fresh. And I'm like, no, we need to unpack the lies. Like, I need to know what happened. So naturally I won that argument and we unpacked the lies. <laughs> um, every night I would ask him very detailed questions and I wanted to know every little thing. It was this thick obsession that I had. Um, it was like a, like a rush that I, that I was getting out of it. Um, I highly discourage anyone from doing the same. I was attracted to the pain that I felt when he described these text message affairs that he had. And I just couldn't get enough of it. I just needed to know everything. Um, terrible, terrible idea on my part. Um, don't do that. Don't do what I did. But in my months of questioning and making him go to couples therapy, which didn't work, by the way, because he wasn't in it. He was going. He was showing up, but he was not mentally there. Um, one day we were sitting in the bedroom and... I was like, I know there's something else. Like, what is going on? Why are you still like this? What is happening with you? He still had like this wall up between us. And he broke down and he admitted that he physically cheated on me years prior. And um, let me tell you that the strength that I had that day was not my own. I just took a deep breath and I wrapped my arms around him and he collapsed onto the floor. And he was sobbing uncontrollably, and I just held him and comforted him and said that it was going to be okay, and we were going to get through this, and um, just that I loved him. And that was not typically my first instinct, you know? Somebody says they cheated on you, you don't hug them. <laughs> but, you know, it was God. It was not me. It was God. Uh, I decided that we were going to move forward together and heal. I needed to set ground rules though. You know, how was I going to be able to trust him again? How was I even going to be able to be in the same room as him? How could I be with him? I decided that privacy was gone. 
there's no such thing as privacy in my house anymore. I had to have all of his passwords. His phone couldn't be locked. Um, if he was going to go into another room, his phone had to stay on the mantle. Uh, I had unrestricted as- access to all of his social media accounts. Um, anytime that I wanted his phone to be able to look through it, he had to give it to me. No questions asked. He fought it for a while, but once he understood that I couldn't stay with him without these things, he complied. And still to this day, I have full access to everything. It doesn't really happen, but, you know, I guess it's there for my own, for my own peace of mind, you know, the access. Um, now that he is of a healthier mindset, he agrees that total transparency was necessary for our growth. Without that, we couldn't have moved forward. Um, we talk about, you know, relationships after infidelity and a lot of times the guys are very protective of their things. This is my phone. This is my account. These are my text messages. You cannot access my things. You're either going to trust me or you're not, but that is not realistic. If you are going to expect your relationship to heal, then you're going to have to prove your side of things in some way or another. There has to be a way that she somehow gets your trust back. And you're going to have to open up yourself and open up your life and things that you are typically keeping private to show her that there's nothing that you're hiding anymore. Else, There's no way that she'll be able to trust you again. And if she says that she trusts you again without you doing those things, you're giving her unrealistic expectations. And I guarantee it's going to fail somewhere down the line. No, I just, there's a, there's a word we use in English and it's atonement. And that's making something whole again. I heard. I heard Jordan Peterson break that word down. It actually comes from at one, a tone, making something back whole again after it's been broken. And it's like the scale of what is needed to be done can't be defined by anyone else. And it's whatever is needed to be done is what is needed to be done. And the scale of the scale of what you have to do after um, a betrayal like that or a breakdown like that has to match. It has to be matched by the actions later right and so i think well like i'm hearing you um i just want to just take my hat off to you again just like what mike did i'm hearing faith and i'm hearing love and commitment in a really pure way and like i think that what you're describing here with this total transparency is just exactly what was needed like i look around at guys and i'm like we all need god like women do too but Left and right of bark, you know, the safety rail on either side of the road and, or, or lane, lane ropes in the water. And then you can perform safely and you can maximize your performance and stuff when you know where your limits are and you're left and right of arc. Another military one of shooting. But it's no one can define for the, you know, the, the, the person who's the victim, the person who's received um, hurt, what, what's going to make it better. And it, to, to say total transparency, I think that that is something that is going to engender behavior and that responsibility is going to be taken and that's the path for healing. And, you know, I just hear an immense, immense love and faith and commitment in this story and whatever you set him by doing it to demonstrate that his love and faith and commitment was, was moving towards matching yours is, you know, it's necessary. I think you needed to give him a big task. <laughs> You know, we needed a big challenge to bring out our best. Mike. Adam last week talked about the mass and putting on the mass, and April has has referenced that. <clears throat> I wore one for a while myself because I had to be what people viewed me as. And uh, 
I'm guilty of a lot of the stuff that April's putting out there, you know, and they were mass on for me. Uh, it got to the point, and I think, you know, I can, I related to Adam when I talked to him about this is once you peel that mask off just a little bit and take a, a breath of fresh air and just be yourself, you know who you could be. And it's like, wow, like, I want this damn thing off, but it's so heavy because you've built and put so much energy into those masks that it's, it's, it's exhausting at times. Like sometimes it's just like, I just want to go to bed. I don't even want to think about it anymore. Um, that's what I did. I would just be like, I just want to go to sleep, you know, and somehow it'll be better in the morning or it'll go away. I know other guys who, you know, drink their face off. Other people resort to drugs or, you know, whatever. Um, that stage of being able to realize who you can be when you just peel that off just a little bit is so powerful. And, you know, I've shared it with Jimmy Boggs when he gave me the hug and acknowledged what I was going through and was like, yeah, I know you're broken, man. And it's, and it's okay. And I love you. That's when it just peeled off. And I was like, Oh, I can just finally be myself around this guy. Thank God. And it was that fresh, that breath of fresh air. And that was really the start for me. And it was amazing to feel. So um, for the listeners, if, if there's anybody else that you're going, Holy crap, that's me. You know, that like, don't give up on that feeling because we've all felt it. I, everybody in this conversation right now has felt that and gone through it and it is possible. So don't give up. Don't give up on that. But go ahead. I'll turn it back over to April. Yeah. So, and if you're on the other side of that and your spouse just peeled off a mask, a big mistake that I first made was reminding him of who he was before. I was always throwing it in his face. What about that? And what about that? And what about her? And um, constant reminders too. You know, we would go somewhere and there would be one of the girls there he was talking to. I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's go talk to her. Let's go see her. You know, but reminding him of who he was before was not helping him. And that's what I wanted to do. That's my emotional side wanted to do that, but that was not the right choice. So um, anyways, you know, moving forward, we started to do this reboot combat recovery course, another amazing program. Um, it's just a 12 week faith-based program to help heal from PTSD. We're going through one of the weeks to talk about go-to pain relievers and Adam starts getting antsy. He blurts out that he's been snorting pills at work. I was sick. It wrecked me. I would have rather than told me that he would cheat it on me again. Um, this happened years prior around the same time that he had just gotten laid off. Um, you know, right, right before that, that he was talking to all these other females, but I was just, I was disgusted by the whole thing, mostly because of my own past trauma, my parents' drug use. It just, it was disgusting to me. I couldn't even look at him in the eyes anymore. So this was just something else you know, to, to build on. Um, we were going back and forth. We'd be good. We weren't, we weren't good. We were good. We weren't good. Uh, and he was still suicidal. He was still trying to get away. Um, every once in a while, wasn't always bad, but you know, sometimes it was never knew what, what to expect, never knew when to expect it again. The very last time that it happened though, um, we were arguing again and I went to go take a shower red flag like I can't go take a shower you know um five minutes in and I just felt sick and I didn't know why but it was it was God pulling at me 
it was something. I just, I felt sick. According to his Google location, because again, I had total transparency at this time, so I always knew where he was. His Google location told me that he was here at home. Um, but something just didn't feel right. So I got out of the shower. I was looking around everywhere. I hesitated before I went into the garage because I was always worried that I would find him in a pool of blood in the garage. Um, he wasn't in there, thank God. But I couldn't find him. He wasn't outside. He wasn't inside. Looking everywhere. And then I go into the sunroom. That's like his escape room, more or less. And the son of a bitch. He left his phone, his wallet, and one bullet perfectly lined up on the computer desk for me to see, for me to find. Like, talk about, like, take, making a statement, you know? He always used to tell me in these, in these moments of suicidal rage that it only takes one bullet. It just takes one. It just takes one. And that was his show to me. It's one. One bullet. It only takes one. Um, so at this point, I had no idea how long he was gone. I didn't know where he went. I didn't know if he was still alive. So I just started praying. I kept our middle son at home so that he can call me in case Adam came home. Because he wasn't answering his phone, obviously. He was, he was here. I loaded up three of the other kids and I just started searching. And I just remember thinking how large the world felt looking for him. I had no idea which street to go down, what direction to go. And um, I just kept praying. I called a dispatcher friend of ours who dispatches here for a local police department and to find out if he was working. He was not, unfortunately. I couldn't just call the police directly for help because remember suicide by cop. You know, it, I, I couldn't put anybody in danger. It just wasn't safe. I kept praying. Um, I called a few of his trusted, trusted friends to help me, but nobody was around. It was just me. It was God and these kids looking for their daddy. And it was... It was scary. It was scary. Um, I let go. I let go. Up until this point right here, it has been me hovering. I have been by his side or over top of him or behind him or in front of him pulling. There has always been something that has magnetized me to him. And I have literally pulled him or pushed him through life. And I was helpless. He was not in my sight. I couldn't reach him. And I had to let go. I pulled over and I parked. And I just, I prayed. And it's this prayer that I had always prayed for him. Anytime that, you know, we were just in a really bad moment. And it, it says, when your heart is breaking for someone who is broken, but your words can't reach them and your love can't save them. Ask God to send the angels to go where you cannot, to whisper into their hearts what their ears cannot hear. We will not give up on you. Don't give up on yourself. And God heard me. God heard me because shortly thereafter, one of my sons called me, my middle son, and he said, Adam's back home. And um, we went home. We didn't talk about it right away because, you know, it was still kind of fresh and kind of new. But he was a little more rejuvenated. It was not what I was expecting. Um, it wasn't until later on that we talked about it. Um, I, that, that's whenever he called you and he talked to you in that moment. Um, and things started to shift in him. They started to change. Uh, I became more involved in veteran caregiver groups at this time. 
Elizabeth Dole Foundation. They sent me on a retreat to San Antonio and it was amazing. And they started preaching on self-care and self-care and self-care. But self-care to me sounded selfish. Um, I didn't like the idea of going to get my nails done. You know, I didn't even know what self-care was. I was taking care of kids and um, my husband for so long. It, you know, I actually found my self-care in volunteering. It was something that I was already doing for a long time, but I just kind of really amped it up. Um, I was on the recreation committee for our borough. Um, I organized independent donation drives for local moms or children or families in need. I was organizing these really big, amazing Christmas drives. This past year, we collected over 1,200 gifts and over $3,000 in cash and gift card donations. It's really amazing. We gave to um, almost 40 kids and each kid, they have, you know, 30, 40 gifts apiece. It's just incredible, you know, just really lay on the blessings. I was awarded Citizen of the Year in 2019, and I was given a key to the city for my volunteer efforts and for helping out people in our community. Um, that was kind of, that was my break. That was my, that was my self-care. Helping others was my self-care. It was really hard to differentiate between being a wife and being a caregiver to him and um, our relationship struggled until I was able to figure that out. I had to learn when to move forward and I had to learn when to step back. I had to be able to give him respect and dignity and I had to understand that he still wanted to feel like the man at the house. He still wanted to have responsibilities and play his role even in the moments that he couldn't. Um, so I would have to make sure that I was doing it with the most, my part with the most grace possible so that I wasn't stripping him away of his manlyhood, more or less. Um, the VA finally diagnosed him with PTSD and a huge weight fell off of my shoulders. Up until this point, he didn't have a diagnosis. And as far as anybody else was concerned, I was just crazy and he was just crazy. And there was no specific anything going on, but yes, it is PTSD. We do know that there's a problem. The professional saw what I saw. He could not function on a daily basis without me. And hearing that was freeing. It, it didn't change my responsibilities, but knowing that somebody else agreed with me, it just changed my perspective. And at that point, I was able to play two different roles and put on two different hats. Um, and then we started going to church and things really started getting better for him. Um, we were already, we were already going to church, but we weren't really in it at that point. But this church has really been amazing for us and everything changed for him. And I believe that whenever I let go and I said, I can't do this anymore. I surrendered. I surrendered. The fact that I was on top of him, always trying to tell him what to do and what not to do and when to do it, when to shower, when to brush his teeth, when to get up and go somewhere. It was, it was, you know, like taking care of a small child. I had to just let go. I still had all of these roles, but I had to let go. And I just said, God, I cannot do this alone anymore. And he just spoke back to me and said, because you're not supposed to. I, I am not supposed to do this alone. This is not my battle. And it's not Adam's bat battle either. This is a battle for God. And until we surrender everything to him, 
we can't be saved. We can't be changed. Our pastor said something in church um, just like two weeks ago, and he said, only Jesus has the power to change a life. And you cannot do something external to change something internal. Jesus, Jesus measured up because you could not. And don't live life with a label. You are loved and you are forgiven. And that's it. That's it. That is, that is it. Adam and me, we, we do not have to live with these labels. I do not have to do everything. He does not have to fight these battles. We just have to let go and we just have to surrender and everything, everything changes. And it did. And, you know, I hate to say that the one thing to do when you're looking to save somebody who doesn't want to save, be saved, when you, you're trying to save a life with somebody who just wants to die is nothing. But it truly is nothing. It is not our battle. There is nothing that I can do to change him. There is nothing he can do to change him. He has to surrender fully to God and then God will do all of the changing for us. And it is just so beautiful whenever it happens. I, th- I, I love that April. Um, it's something that, you know, I, I work on daily myself and I, I'm perfectly happy admitting that, you know, is, is looking to him for a reference. And that was one of the biggest things was, um, and actually it was Raf. Raf helped me out with this when he got me that, that book tender warrior, um, because it's, you know, there's references to God and Jesus and, and kind of thing, because as a man, as a military man, I was like, where am I referencing to like what right is to what good looks like? You know, it wasn't in the battlefield. I'll tell you that much, uh, with all the stuff that was going on there. And then just all the, you know, surrounded by guys that are struggling themselves. And it's just like, well, I can ask some questions, but like, there's no hard written black and white there. There's no playbook. There's no, it's so erratic back and forth where I'm just like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to do it by myself and I, I'll figure it out. You know, that sort of thing. And your ego and your pride get in the way. But when I really start reading, you know, like I said, the Bible is very hard for me to read, to decipher. And, you know, it can take it different ways. But like when Raph was like, hey, man, I'm going to send you something. And I got that book and I read it. And it was written in that way. I was like, wow, that clicked. I understand now. And honestly, it wasn't until, you know, a year and a half ago that I fully understood why Jesus was on the cross and what he did. A year and a half ago, that's it. I I understood. It took me that long in my life to fully understand that part of it and what he wanted for me. And it, it just clicked. And I... I, I think I told Raph about it when, when I was, I was like, dude, let's have a conversation. And it was great. But uh, yeah, just for reference, it, it, it's such a good thing to look at because it's it's the playbook. It really is. It's the playbook. When you read about it, it's there. It's black and white. It's not on social media. It's not the, the disgruntled veteran veteran page. When he's pissed off, he posts something about like, oh, F the world and this, that. And that's how you should be. You should always be hard and just be a brick wall. and F everybody else, F people. It's like, no, no, no. That's bravado, stupid BS, emotional stuff. Like that's not real. That's, that's not the real deal. That's not healthy masculinity, you know? So, um, 
I, I, I just want to say I 100% back what you just put out there is by surrendering yourself, taking that mask off and letting God guide you on your path and wanting to make the change. That's the only way it's going to happen is for you to want to make the change and then put in the effort. Mm-hmm. My happiness had to come independent of Adam. Um, I was I spent a lot of our years being unhappy or sad or crying myself to sleep or wondering what was wrong with me or why he was doing these things to me, but he wasn't actually doing anything to me. His decisions and his choices were not mine. They had nothing to do with me. They were not because I was inadequate. They were because he was hurting. He was struggling and he was in a lot of pain and he was looking for something to heal his pain or to make his pain feel better or to cover up his pain. He was not doing the things to hurt me. And whenever I was able to realize that I was able to forgive. Um, My happiness was not dependent on what his mood was or how stable he was that day or what we were doing or not doing. My happiness came from myself. And it was okay for me to be happy, even if he wasn't. And unless I was happy alone, um, and then he was happy alone, there would be no way that we would even be able to come together and enjoy each other. Uh, a lot of times now in relationships, especially in the social media era, everybody thinks that he is not making me happy or she is not making me happy. You're right. It's just, they're not. They're not going to make you happy. That is not how this works. That is not how love works. Another person is not going to make you happy. You just have to be independently happy. And then you could be happy with somebody else. I think that's one of the... uh, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the most evolved ideas out there that's really difficult to reach because I think it's taken me a lifetime to get to that point to understand that my happiness is literally in my own hands. And... The way somebody treats me, maybe something, the way somebody says something, uh, it might affect me, but the truth is it has nothing to do with me, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, someone's decision to be shitty, someone's decision to be whatever, to commit some atrocity it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the manifestation of how they feel. You know, they probably feel inadequate. They probably feel, you know, whatever they're, they're angry They're for whatever reason. But yeah, I mean, but it's interesting. I love that you just said it because I think it's one of the hardest things to understand and it's even more difficult to actually apply it into your day into your existence but i think it's important and it's worth repeating every time because i think people need to hear that so they can take happiness into their own hands and not you know having it tied exclusively to to some other person something right like i'm gonna be happy because i bought this thing but really that's just a lot it's just a, it's a, it's a crazy ass lie that's been fabricated over the years and we've just, we bought it wholesale. And it's, it's awesome to hear people like you, April, who actually you've uncovered the fact that it, it isn't, the, that isn't the truth. And what you said is the truth. And I, I, yeah, I think it's awesome. It's really great to hear. It's refreshing. I also really hear that there's a guy, Jim Deathmore, I've listened to and read a fair bit of really very, it's like, I just want to say, April, you, you should write a book or start a program or something because this is powerful, powerful stuff that you're talking about and you're sharing as a person who has implemented it and used it and it's not a theoretical construct for you. But 
that's the story for another day. But the the three steps I heard Jim Deathman talk about was codependency, which is a relationship where the other person is 100% responsible for your happiness. And so you're never going to be happy in that situation. So you're always miserable and upset with the other person because they're not making me happy. And the next level is independence, where you finally are like taking responsibility for yourself. You are exactly as you've described. And then there's the interdependence, which is the top level where you have a surplus and you're able to give and support others and bring other people up. But, you know, it's like it's like chalk and cheese. To hear you describe these things, these realizations you've had around saving someone who doesn't want to be saved and where your happiness comes from and that none of this is being done to you and you can create your own happiness in the midst of this. It's an extraordinary thing to hear. I know we talked briefly the other day. You also mentioned boundaries. Do you want to maybe elaborate on that point? Yeah. So he um, he had me questioning what I thought was okay in a relationship. And um, I had to put my foot down in his quest of trying to justify his lifestyle. He was almost trying to change what I was willing to accept. And um, for a little while, it was kind of working. Uh, but I had to put my foot down and I had to say, okay, you know, these things are not okay. If you are going to be in a nasty mood, then that's okay. You can be in a nasty mood, but it's going to be away from us. You know, you're not going to pull us into your nasty mood. If you're going to have a big mess of stuff somewhere, that's fine, but it's going to be in your space. It cannot crawl out into everybody else's space. If you are going to be this one way or do this one thing, that's okay. And I will give you the space to do that, but it cannot bleed into mine or our kids' lives. And that is kind of the big umbrella of it. Um, I cannot change or alter what his path is. I cannot decide what his mood is going to be for the day. And honestly, although things are going great now, we are going to have a million ups and downs. And I need to be respectful of that. I need to understand that every day is not going to be perfect. We're going to have some downs sometimes. And sometimes he is just going to want to sulk. And if he does, I will be here. I'm not going to be right up against him so that his negativity bleeds off into me. But I'll be I'll be close enough that I can keep an eye on him. I will give him his space and he could do whatever it is that he needs to do, or he can go on an angry rant on Facebook or whatever it is. But I'm going to be right down there in the comments section like, hey, okay, chill out a little bit now. Let's go do something else. Um, I spend a lot of time redirecting him. And it sounds ridiculous because, you know, like I, it sounds like I'm talking about a behavior trait in a child or something. But honestly, it's very helpful because he might be on this one path thinking this one way. And it affects all everybody around him. But if I can just kind of steer him off, redirect them in another direction, it helps. You know, it, it, um, but that is also a boundary. There's, there's a lot of things that I just decided I'm going to have this bubble around me and we're going to have a bubble around the kids and you can go ahead and have a little mess. You can have a messy day if you need to have a messy day, but our lives and our days are going to look positive. And whenever you're ready, come on in. We'll invite you in and you can come and do happy things with us. And whenever you're done, that's okay. You can slowly exit out the back. 
But the boundary is your mess does not come into our happiness. The three gorillas are just sitting here with massive smiles on our faces for the people <laughs> who don't have who don't have video. Well, April, we're we're really at like, you know, probably the limit of the time that we can keep you. I know we had a bit of a timeline when we started. This feels like a story that has got more to unpack. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would, you know, I feel like that there might be more we could get out of maybe a part two or maybe an episode where we talk with both of you guys together. Yeah, absolutely. This is so in the center of the bullseye for people who listen to this. We either have experienced it ourselves, we have loved ones, or we have coworkers. I mean, this is this is a thing that young men and women who have served in combat who have had traumatized childhoods, who have had traumatized experiences as adults. It's like put your hand up if you haven't been traumatized, right? And right. How do we deal with it ourselves and how do we help other people deal with it? It's a very, very powerful topic. So you don't have to commit to anything right now, but I just, I really, I really feel like you've got something extraordinary to offer our community. It is this presence of strength and grace and wisdom. And, you know, I, I take my hat off to you as a, as a person and as a wife and as a, a partner. I appreciate that, especially because it did not feel like it in any of those moments. I did not feel any of those things. I felt chaotic and messy and helpless. And that's a big reason why I felt it important to say my side, because I know that there are thousands of other women who are feeling the exact same way, but there is such a beautiful redemption story on the other side. And if you just hold on, there is so much hope. Well, I don't think there's a better way to finish a uh, conversation and with that and i just really thank you for coming on and sharing that with us and our audience and absolutely uh, thanks for having i really me. look forward i really look forward to a, a follow-up conversation thank you very much thank you thanks april sure thank, thank you, you.